Well, good morning, first service. So glad that you guys are here this morning. And before we get into the message today, I did want to share just a little bit of news with you. Um, if you hadn't heard already, that uh, Joe Wilson, who's the founding minister of this church, uh, passed away on Friday. And uh, his service will be here this Friday at 1.30 in the afternoon. And we are going to try to live stream it because we expect it to be uh, well attended. And so just kind of want to let everybody know that. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you know Joe, if you've been around Oakwood for a long time, maybe you've met him, uh, you know that uh, he has been the one that primarily built all the facilities here, was the senior minister here the first 20 years of Oakwood, and just really appreciate his ministry. It affected so many. It affected me. Uh, he baptized me right over here in this baptistry in August of 1987. So uh, just, uh, just uh, going to really, really miss him, and uh, we want to be here to support his family. But uh, Friday at 1.30, and again, if you're not able to, to come in person, uh, we are going to stream that online, and I just want everybody to be aware of that before we get into the message this morning. So uh, just be praying for the Wilson family. Uh, we are in the last installment of a series called Dangerous Prayers, and uh, we started this several weeks ago and have been talking about prayers that really Christians should pray these things, but they're kind of dangerous. They kind of make us uncomfortable. We get, we get into these prayer ruts sometimes, I feel like, like, you know, Lord, just bless me and make my life, I mean, I'm saying this, but this is really what we're praying for. It may not sound like this, but, you know, Lord, make my life easy. Lord, just make me happy all the time and give me ease in life. Give me everything that I need so that I can be happy and joyful in life and, and make everything, you know, just safe and make everything, you know, and just give me a blessing. And, and, and uh, you know, sometimes we go, you know, really out there and we pray a hedge of protection, you know, a thorny bush of protection around me and my family. And Lord, give me traveling mercies and, and Lord, bless this food to our body. And, uh, you know, we get into these ruts with our prayers. And yet Jesus, for the very first week, told us we should pray this way. And when he said that, he said, you're supposed to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we, we talked about the next week about uh, that we need to pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. And search me, O God, know my heart so I can know my heart. And then uh, Alan Seibel preached the next week, and he talked about how we need to be able to, in Christian community, ask each other to pray and really pray for each other. I mean, ask someone, pray for me. And then we would actually lift each other up. In, in, in prayer and, go, and, and take our requests and before the Lord and, and be thinking of others and not just praying selfishly for ourselves. And then last week we talked about cleanse me. And we need to pray that the Lord would cleanse us. And today we're going to talk about the prayer that I call send me. Send me. That sounds fun, doesn't it? We, we like an adventure. We love an adventure with the Lord. And my prayer through this whole series has been that you'll find yourself, as you pray these prayers, and you focus more on what the Lord wants than what you want, that it would send you on a spiritual adventure. And not only that, it would send you into a period of spiritual growth in your life that you've never experienced before. That you would walk away from this and six months from now look back and say, you know what, when I changed my prayer life, when I actually got bold and I started praying for more about what God cares about than what I just selfishly in my flesh care about, man, some amazing things have happened. And I feel closer to the Lord than at any other time in my life because I dared to pray a dangerous prayer. Let's open up the word this morning. Isaiah chapter 6 is where we're going to be. So in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 6 and uh, as always, you can follow along in your Bible, 
or you can get on your uh, phone or on your tablet. And for those online, we recommend that. Uh, get on that phone or tablet and go into the Oakwood app and go to Sermon Notes and all of the scriptures and everything are, are online there for you. You can uh, read everything, follow along. There's even a place uh, for you to take notes for yourself in there. You can save those. It's really cool. Very interactive. So Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to begin there with verse 1. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. And it says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Let's pause there for a moment. What did you get out of that first verse? If I were to say, what's the most memorable part? You would say that he saw the Lord, he had a vision of the Lord, that, that the Lord was high and lifted up, that he was like on a throne, he was so high and lifted up, and that the train of God's robe filled the entire temple, which means God is large and in charge. And we skip over the very first part, where it says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Because, you know, it's like, who's King Uzziah? And, and so he died that year, what's the big deal? But let me give you a, a little context here. King Uzziah took the throne as a 16-year-old kid, and he reigned for 52 years. Uzziah was very dedicated to the Lord, and, and they were coming out of a time where the nation had turned away from God, and Uzziah, at 16 years old, said, hey, we're going to turn back to God, and they got rid of the idols, and they started worshiping the Lord, and, and they repented of their sins as, as a nation, and, and so uh, it was a, a time of prosperity. It was 52 pretty good years. Well, 42 pretty good years. You see, about 10 years before Uzziah died as the king of Israel, uh, he had an episode, we'll say, where he uh, went into the temple. And he actually uh, went to a place where only the high priest, the law of the Lord said that only the high priest can go into the Holy of Holies. And he actually went in there to offer a sacrifice himself. And he knew better than this, but uh, in a moment of weakness, he sinned against the Lord. And the scripture tells us that the Lord gave Uzziah leprosy and that he lived with leprosy the last 10 years of his life. So Uzziah, when he had walked with the Lord and, and, and the nation had repented and they had these years of prosperity, they had these years where things were going really, really well. They were enjoying their lives. But now he's had leprosy for 10 years. He just passes away. One of his sons is coming to be on the throne and the nation of Israel is starting to falter again. They're starting to turn away from God again. And that's where we pick up with the prophet Isaiah in chapter 6 this morning. So let's, let's, let's start over there with verse 1 again. In the year that King Uzziah died, you know what's going on in the context of the country at the time. This vision came to Isaiah. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim. These angelic beings, uh, each with six wings. With, with two wings they covered their faces, and with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah responded this way, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. You see, they're starting to turn away from the Lord again. And he says, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And he's just overwhelmed with the holy presence of the mighty God. In verse 6, it says, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand. 
which he had taken with tongs from the altar where they were burning sacrifices. And with it, he touched my mouth and he said, See, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, Lord. Send me. The send me prayer. It's interesting because it comes right on the heels of atonement for Isaiah. He cries out to the Lord. He says, hey, Lord, I'm not perfect and I've got sin in my life. And the only way I can be made right is, is to come to you. Is to, to repent before you. And, and that's when the seraphim came and he touched his lips. And he says, your guilt, that those feelings of guilt that you have, Isaiah, those have been taken away and your sins are atoned for. And it's right on the heels of that, and, and right on the heels of this moment of where we're, where we're overwhelmed with God's grace and His forgiveness, and I'm, I'm sure Isaiah in that moment is like, wow, I mean, my, my sins are atoned for. That's when verse 8 comes. And he says, and then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And motivated out of that atonement, Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. If you read the rest of chapter 6 in Isaiah, and you read the rest of the book of Isaiah, the next verse, God says, go and tell the people this. And he becomes a mouthpiece for the Lord. He becomes one that calls the nation of Israel back to the Lord and back to repentance. And through a lot of Isaiah's prophesying, we even get prophecies of the coming Messiah, the one that will someday atone for for all sins, for all time, in Jesus Christ. Wow, I'm so glad that there was someone like Isaiah that said, you know what, Lord? I'm overwhelmed with your grace and forgiveness. I know you have the power to atone for my sin. Lord, send me. Send me. I can't help but notice the parallels of the context of this time, what was going on with Uzziah, what was going on with the nation of Israel, is a lot like what's going on in our world. It was uncertain. It was beginning to be more sinful. Sin, sin was on the increase. It was a problem-filled world, and it was a pain-filled world. And in the same way, I think God had this dream of how it could be if the people would just turn back to Him. And I believe that's, that's what God's dream was then and that's what God's dream is today what could God do with some faithful people today but just like he needed back then he needs representatives he needs ambassadors he needs representatives of him to go into the world he needs people that are willing to say Lord here I am send me but when was the last time that you prayed a prayer like that Lord here I am send me and you think about it, where does God send people today? Where would God like to send people today? I believe it's into every facet or every domain of life. And there's a purpose in this for the Lord. It's because he wants influence. And not just influence to change the world and not just influence to change the culture. Let's get down to the bottom line here. He wants influence to save souls for heaven. That people would see the difference that Christ has made in us. And see the motivation of our atonement 
And that that would cause us to say, Lord, I am just going to be a tool in your hands. I'm going to be a vessel for you. Here I am, Lord, atoned for just as I am. Send me. And God has this wonderful intention to send us into all these different areas of life. He wants influence in arts and entertainment. Wouldn't it be great to have more Christians and more influence there? He wants Christian influence in, in businesses. He wants them to operate on Christian principles and Christian practices. He wants to be a part of education. He wants to be, us to be a part of government, of family, of media. He wants us to go into every part, every compartment of life and to infiltrate it. And all we need is to have some willing people say, Here I am, Lord. Atoned for by you, send me. So why should we pray this dangerous prayer, send me this morning? I want to share just a couple thoughts with you. The first one is this. We all have good works that God intends for us to do with our lives. We all have good works that God intends for us to do in our lives. Now, when you signed up and you said, Lord, save me. Many people go into that decision thinking, well, this is about eternal security, right? This is about future uh, fire insurance. But we believe and we preach and we see it in the Word of God that, that when we accept Christ as Savior, that's not just it. It's not just easy believism as our Savior. No, we, we believe in His Lordship over your life that now you're saying, I'm not living for myself anymore. And I'm not living for anything in this world anymore. I'm living for the Lord, and he is my master, and he is the Lord over me, and he is my God, and I do what the master tells me to do. And it changes us. It changes us, and we need no more motivation other than the Son of God's sacrifice on the cross and the resurrection of the dead. Should be as much motivation as we need to serve him wholeheartedly. So, why should we pray this prayer? Because God has good works for us to do. That's how he's going to glorify himself in the world. That's how the gospel message gets out to the world. That's how a difference is made by the way the Christians infiltrate the world. For anyone who has accepted his grace and forgiveness. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians 2.10 says this. For we are God's handiwork. Some, some translations say we are God's workmanship. Some translations say we are God's masterpiece. That word there for handiwork, masterpiece, workmanship, is the word poema. It's a Greek word. And it's where we get our word poem. And so it's like we are God's poem to the world that he's written to the world through us. For we are God's handiwork, we're his masterpiece, we're his workmanship. We are God's handiwork, we are created in Christ Jesus, when we are saved, we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now listen to this. That God has prepared in advance for us to do. That he has had work for us to do. Good works for us to do since the beginning of time. And all of us have a part in this. Notice what it says in there. He, that, that we are God's works you created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he has prepared in advance for us to do. He has a job for us. It's kind of like this. If you are a part of the body of Christ, you're a vital part of it. And, and God expects that every part would do its work. And you, and you see this in Ephesians chapter 4, a, a wonderful uh, section of Scripture that talks about this, about being a part of the body of Christ and that each part does its work. And when each part does its work, that the church or the body of Christ will be built up. 
And yet I think about being built up into a house. And if all of us are a part of that house, let's say you are the chimney. Okay, this, this house has a fireplace and you're the chimney. How does the house function without a chimney? We might start a fire in the fireplace, but bad things can happen. The, the, the roof could catch on fire because the chimney's not there. Maybe there's smoke in the attic that eventually gets into the ductwork and eventually blows out the whole house. And now we have smoke everywhere in the home. Maybe the draft in the fireplace isn't working as well. But just by missing that one part, just the chimney, then you're not fully functional. You're not successful. You're not what God created you to be because you're not doing what God created you to do. And it says that you are his masterpiece. You are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And each of us needs to play our part in that. And if we're honest this morning, I would just say, I think the problem is that so many Christians aren't about doing the Lord's work. They're not about doing what God prepared them in advance for us to do. Now, let's have a moment of honesty this morning. Reflect right now, what specifically are you doing for the Lord? What work is it? I'm going to give you a second because the first thing that pops into people's minds so many times is excuses. Well, uh, not doing much right now because I'm busy. Busy, yep, yep, I, I just don't have much time. I'm reading my paper every morning instead of reading the Bible, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm terribly, terribly busy. Some of us have other excuses that I'm not skilled enough. Some of us come up with, I'm not good enough. Some of them, I'm not trained enough. And we put all of these excuses out there. But God calls us all to do good works. And I wonder what the church today would look like if everyone did their part. If everyone found their niche, if everyone found their place in ministry, would the house of God be built complete? Because everyone has found their role. Everyone is doing their Heart to serve the Lord. Why should we change? Why should we pray the dangerous prayer? Send me, because we all have work to do. The second thing this morning is we are all to go out into the world. We are all to go out into the world. Great commission here, right? We, we're familiar with this. The gospel is for everyone. It's for everyone. Even those who are so far from God right now, you think there's no way that that guy is ever going to turn to Christ. How many times have we seen that? Someone we thought, man, they're never going to come to the Lord. We run into them 10 years later, and someone shared Jesus. And God did a work in their life that changed them tremendously. They're hardly recognizable to us anymore because their attitudes and their actions are just full of God's spirit. And we stand back and we're amazed. It's like, wow, look at, look at who they are. Look at what God has done here. It's an amazing work. It's because someone went out into the world. Mark 16, 15 puts it this way. This is Jesus uh, speaking to the disciples. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. All the world into all creation. Uh, we reference Matthew 28 so many times, the, the Great Commission, where Jesus says, Go into all the world and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. The part of that commissioning is that as you go along your way, make disciples. 
as you are sent out into the world, make disciples. Have a gospel mindset everywhere you go, and in word and in deed, not just in word, because a lot of people like to talk like they're big Christians, but they don't act like they're big Christians, but in word and in deed, do it all for the glory of God. And watch the difference that God will make in your life. When you're willing to say, send me, Lord, and you actually go out. And imagine if all Christians, we're all called to go out into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. How can we get it to all creation? It takes all of us. You know, I, I'm, not in, I'm not into soccer so much. So I need soccer people to go be Christ representatives on the soccer field. And to the soccer dads and the soccer moms. And, and, and you are specifically placed in a place where you have influence in relationships that no one else in our church has. In your little neck of the woods, in your little corner of the world. And God has you there for a purpose. And we need to be mindful that, Lord, when we pray, send me, it's for all of us to go out into the world. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says this. It says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How will people respond? It says faith in God comes from hearing. And hearing from the Bible, from the word of Christ, from the stories about Jesus, from the story of your salvation. When we're called to go out into the world, we're called to share the gospel. And sometimes, sharing our faith is the only gospel people will ever hear. It's vitally important to God. It's vitally important to us. And number three this morning, I want you to remind you of this. As you pray the send me prayer, remember that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. So many times as ministers, we will call on people in the congregation. We'll call you uh, to do some good work for the gospel. We call you to volunteer and it may be in a ministry that happens every week and it may be something like last night when we do light the night and we just want to shine God's light into our community. But we, we call on you and we ask you to do these good works that God's prepared for you to do in advance. And yet so many people say, I just don't feel qualified for that. But as we see in Scripture so many times, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Let's look at Exodus chapter 3. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there. Uh, out of Isaiah, go back to the beginning. So it's Genesis, then the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to read one of the giants of the faith, someone you've heard of his name before. It's Moses, okay? Now, Moses, and I love the Ten Commandments. I kind of grew up on the Ten Commandments. When it was on uh, Easter weekend, I would watch all five and a half hours or however long it is, you know, Charlton Heston. And so um, I, I just love the voices. I love the story. And I love this part of the, the Ten Commandments movie. I mean, it, it, it's great. But I want you to listen to what Moses is saying here and, and, and just think about how you could maybe relate to this. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, well, I will go over and I will see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up, which, which all of us would probably get closer and want to do that, you know, bring your phone and... 
Snap a shot of it, right? And put it on, put it on social media and send it to your friends. Anyway, verse 4, it says, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to Moses from within the bush. Moses. It's from the movie, right? Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Because <laughs> he was scared. He says, here I am. In verse 5, he says, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and a spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and all the other ites, right? And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, and I'm, I'm sure at this point in verse 9, Moses is like, yes, let's go get the Israelites out of Egypt. God says he's going to deliver them, take them out. He has seen their oppression. He has heard them crying out to him. Okay, he's yes to this point. And then in verse 10, God says this, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh. To bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses is excited. And he says, yes, Lord. No, no, wait, verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Interesting response, isn't it? I'm sure he was excited about the Lord's plan until maybe he became a part of it, right? And then when the Lord says, hey, you're going to do it for me. The God that, can't, that can do a burning bush and not burn it up. The God that you've seen work so many ways in your life. Moses even saved your life as they drew you from a river when you were just a baby. The same God that has saved you. The same God that has had his hand on you his Whole, your whole life, the same God that has that, that place for you is now calling you to be an exciting part of his mission. And he says, I'm going to free the Israelites out of the Egyptians who are oppressing him, so now go, I am sending you. And he says, who am I that I should go? Man, sometimes I wonder if I had a dollar for every time I get that kind of response for asking someone to serve the Lord. Hey, is there, is there any way possible you could help disciple fifth and sixth grade boys and the response is who am i that i should go to fifth and sixth grade boys and try to disciple them can some of them can't even read you know they're they're squirmy and they just like chocolate donuts and that's 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 why they come to church right is for chocolate donuts and you know it, 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 and we can make so many excuses look what it says in verse 11 but who am i that i should go to pharaoh and bring the israelites out of egypt Verse 12, and God said, I will be with you. That's all you need to know. See, he doesn't always call the qualified. He doesn't call you because you went to Bible college. He called you before you went to Bible college. He called you when you were a nobody. He called you when you didn't know that much. Because he knew it would build your character, and he knew it would build your faith. If you would say yes to him. 
If you would say, you know what? You atoned for me. Here I am, Lord. Send me. And you answer that call to go. And the Lord said in verse 12, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. You're going to come right back here and you're going to worship me. And Moses said to God, well, uh, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, hey, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they, they ask me, well, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Yeah, yeah, what's your name, God, Yahweh? What's, what's your name? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Except you know it's more, you know, I am who I am. And this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And I will be with you. As you say, here I am, Lord. Send me. You see the difference between Isaiah 6 and, and, and right here in Exodus chapter 3 in verse 11? Moses said to God, who am I that I should go? And isn't it interesting that in Isaiah 6, 8, God says, whom should I send? Who will go for us? <laughs> and then Moses' response is, well, who am I that I should go? Well, let's remember what the prophet Isaiah said. Here I am, Lord. Here I am, all my imperfections. Here I am. I don't know as much of the Bible as, as I wish I did. Here, here I am, Lord. I'm going to make myself available to you. Here I am. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Could we make that our prayer, church? As we pray the other dangerous prayers, Lord, your will be done. Lord, search me and know my heart. Brothers and sisters, pray for me. Cleanse me, O oh God. And do these things so that I can stand before you an atoned for person because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And just say, you know what? Here I am, Lord. Whatever you need, I'm available. I may not be qualified, but when I accepted you, I got called. Here I am, Lord. Send me. We get to respond to this this morning by taking communion. And so if you're online with us this morning, if you would go ahead and grab uh, the bread and the juice. If you're here in the room with us, hopefully you got that as you came in. And I want you to think about this as we pray and spend some time with Jesus. As we gather around the Lord's table as his body, the church this morning. God has always been ascending God. God has been sending since the beginning of time. God sent, the, the scripture says, God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to be a sacrifice for our sins. And then Jesus, when his work here on earth was done, he ascended into heaven. And then God sent again his Holy Spirit. 
to live and indwell all of us. And then God sends us on mission for him. And God sends people into our life that we're to share the gospel with. And God sends us on, on ways to serve the kingdom and to make a difference. And because God is ascending God, we need to be ascending people. and We need to, to be standing before God and say, okay, whatever it is, Lord, here I am, send me. And I know that some of you are like, wow, I struggle with that, though, because I don't feel qualified. The qualification is that you were atoned for by the Son of God, that he died on the cross, he rose from the grave to give you hope, not just of eternal life, but to give you hope to walk away from your sinfulness right now in this life and to live a life full of adventure and full of joy because of his sacrifice. And when we come to this time of communion and we take this bread that represents Jesus' body and we take this cup that represents his blood, we're doing this to remember him. God wants us to do this because it's our motivation. He holds the sacrifice of his son before us every week. He says, Use this time to remember that I sent my son. And after he ascended to heaven, my plan was, now I send you. As we take this communion this morning, let's remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this moment where we worship you because you are so good to us. You love us so much that you would actually send your son, your flesh and blood to this earth to die a cruel and torturous death on a cross to be the atonement for our sins. And so God, I pray as we take this communion, we can remember, and it can, we can remember the sacrifice of Jesus. We can remember that you are ascending God. We can remember that you've also called us to be sent. May these moments with Jesus motivate us to be a people on mission for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just take a few moments here and commune with your Savior.